Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I struggled with that a lot because I felt like this is something that's supposed to be very natural. And it's not. Why isn't this something that's happening naturally for me? What was my line? Do I say this is okay, podcast? Okay. Try this again. Hi, I'm Sheetal. And I'm Farheen. Every other week, we host a Smiley's with unique stories to tell. Welcome to Podvocative. Hello and welcome back. This is actually our final episode of the Motherhood series. So we're ending it with a bang. But before that, we will answer a question that I want to ask Farheen and see what her thoughts are. So how many pizzas do you think Americans eat in a year? I think the number is going to be like absurdly high. Um, How many pizzas do Americans eat in one year? Um, I'm going to say there's like what? 300 million Americans. Uh, let's say like an average two pizzas per person per year. So I'm going to say 600 million pizza pies a year (laughs) okay that's a safe bet i feel like though i'm going to say there's what 300 million but i feel like people have more than two pizzas a year i feel like people have pizzas like every month (laughs) yeah but i feel like that's like you and me you know what i mean like i bet there are some people in america who like never eat pizza yeah but i bet there's some people who eat pizza like (laughs) way more than just once a month (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to say once a month average. Let's say each person has one pizza. So that's 300 million times 12. <laughs> <laughs> you made it too so hard for yourself. 3 times 12 is 36. Yeah. So you're looking at like 3.6 billion? 3.6 billion. Okay, yeah, that's my guess. 3.6 billion? Okay. Uh, let's see what Do the answer is. Answer? Yeah. Okay, are we ready? Oh, what is it? Wait, you're exactly right. Almost. <gasps> it's three billion. Oh, my God. <laughs> three billion. That's insane. Three billion. Wow. I really thought I was going to be on the money. You were literally almost exactly there. I was. I overshot it a little bit, but just a little fun question. Good job. That was a good one. Thank you. Good to know <laughs> in your back pocket. <laughs> that's 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 it from us <laughs> it's on you to make the transition um well by way of today's episode this is going to be our last motherhood episode but it's such a good one it ties in so well to our theme of resilience we're going to talk about ivf we're going to talk about mental health we're going to talk about journeys to motherhood that are not the typical journeys to motherhood because that has been our theme and yeah our our guest is just incredible today yeah agreed and i love that she also touches upon how she struggled with you know when she was at the peak of her career and she was deciding to have kids she didn't know if that's what she wanted she didn't know if having kids would be a deterrent um she talks about how she had to go to a therapist 
So she's, yeah, she's an amazing woman. Yeah, we are so excited for y'all to hear this episode. Please let us know your thoughts. We have Instagram, we have email, and we'll see you after the episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for spending this time with us. So let's get started. If you want to tell everyone who you are, what you do, where you're from, and then your favorite article of clothing. So my name is Thazim Salahani, and I was actually born in New York, but I was raised here in Texas, moved to San Antonio, and I've kind of been all over the state. I'm a therapeutic consultant. I work with high-risk clients that have mental health issues and behavioral issues. My, my favorite article of clothing, yes, um, I could live in sweatpants and pajamas all day every day i am with you that's been the best part of quarantine is just yes. non-stop <laughs> loungewear awesome well we are so thankful that you've joined us here today to speak on our platform we know you are obviously here for a reason so would you mind telling our listeners just at a high level you know what you've come to talk to us about today so about five or six years ago um, i entered a journey and it was you know looking at trying to to start a family with my husband. That journey took us to then doing something called IVF, in vitro fertilization. And six years later, we have two kids from that. And it was quite the road. So when you and your partner were discussing starting a family, how did you know that that was right for you? How did you know that motherhood was right for you? Had you always known it? Or was it up for question? What were your thoughts? You know, I didn't. It was interesting because I think when I was in my 20s, I knew that I wanted to have a family and I wanted to have children. It was just a part of what I wanted. I can't say I felt that way in my 30s. You know, I think in my 30s, I was so knee deep in my career. I had a very different perspective and outlook in life. And I knew having children at that time, you know, felt different and looked different. But there was a part of me that said that it would be something that I would regret in the future. It wasn't a present moment thought, but it was something I knew that maybe in the future, I would look back and say, this is something that I would want. And then I have this amazing husband who was very, very supportive and just felt like as a huge part of what he wanted in life was to have children. So I think it was something that we both talked about and decided to go down that that path together. I'm with you. I feel like a lot of my like desire or if I were to ever have children one day, I think a lot of that would come from like a societal expectation that that's sort of what I would be supposed to do. Like, was that ever part of the reason for you? Yeah, you know, what, what was interesting is I always thought it was a South Asian push. I thought it was being a smiley or I thought it was being, you know, a certain culture that would have pushed me. And as soon as it was like, as soon as I got married, it was when are you going to have your child? And then you have your first child. And it's like, okay, now when are you gonna have your second child, right? Like, there was these expectations that continue to happen on top of those. And what I started to realize is that even in our own society in the United States, even living in an individualistic society, there is that expectation. And I started to feel it every everywhere around me, not just in our community, which was, okay, now that you're married, when are you going to have a child? And I really had to take a step back and ask myself, is this something that I want in my life? You know, is, is this something that I can handle? Because it really truly came down to picking between being a mom and having a career is what it felt like. And luckily, I was able to find a balance, but it took a really long time. And I think I still struggle with that balance because it is really hard to kind of know what that is going to look like tomorrow because every single day you just kind of live it and see what happens. And I can guarantee you that you're not alone in those thoughts. I feel like 
that will resonate with so many listeners. You know, I am not currently in that boat, but I can see myself being in that exact position one day and, you know, having to make those decisions and weighing out the options. So how did you begin to do that? How did you navigate that? So I think a lot of us are type A personality. We tend to have, you know, this control aspect of us. And I think when I started to realize that I can't control everything and that uh, to some degree, I have to realize that even with my career, you know, there are going to be things that go this way and sideways and, and backwards, that there are going to be these opportunities that I didn't see coming, or there's going to be setbacks. And that's just a part of our life. And I wanted to make sure that I not just looked at you know, where I was today and and kind of where I wanted my career to go. But I also wanted to have that work-life balance, which quite honestly, I didn't. You know, work has always been my main focus. It's always been something that has been my first child every time. And so for me, it was trying to understand that you can do both and it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. Um, it took. It was a struggle getting there for me, especially because I naturally couldn't get pregnant. And so I took it as a tall tale sign, like maybe I'm not supposed to get pregnant, right? Maybe it's meant to be and I'm supposed to be just focused on my career. And in that case, in this case, in my marriage, and I was already a little bit older, I thought, if I have the opportunity to do this, and I believe in science, and I believe that you know God put doctors on earth for a reason, that I should at least be able to maximize my opportunities and, and also try something that is a little bit outside my comfort at this age and time. So was it ever triggering or unwelcome for you when people would ask when you're going to have a baby because you talked about how everyone would you know bring that up and after you get married that's quite an expectation again not just in south asian culture but in the country we live in generally so was that ever something that really bothered you and do you think that that's you know as a society a question we should avoid altogether asking women when i was posed that question it was all always from elders, right, of the Jamaat or my parents or family members, when are you going to get pregnant? And I started to really kind of take a step back and, 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 you know, tell myself that they ask these questions because that's their norm. There's no judgment, or at least, you know, I try to really kind of rationalize why I felt that it was okay for them to do it. This was a part of their norm and their natural, right? But my friends and and the women I surrounded myself with and the group of people I had around me, we were all kind of in the same boat. So I think to some degree, I felt a little bit lucky. I had a couple of friends that already had children, but majority of us were all kind of getting married at the same time. We were all older. A lot of us were, you know, kind of knee deep in our work and career. And so we all kind of got married at the same time. And then we all ended up having children at the same time. So it was, I didn't feel as much of the pressure because I really started to rationalize that the people I felt that were asking those questions, it was justified. I understood why they were asking this question. And I had to kind of take it with a grain of salt and realize that, you know, what their future and what their life and what what it is that they define as norm may not be the same as mine. And that's okay. So then moving forward, can you walk us through the steps that you took to becoming a mother? What did IVF for you entail? I remember um, going to, I think it was a birthday party at Top Golf, and I had bumped into somebody who had basically told me that, you know, you should really consider IVF or in vitro. And it was at that time that I was exposed, or I guess my eyes opened to the 
concept of IVF and she explained the process to me and that's kind of where my journey started to begin and in meeting with with the physician they did a lot of testing I mean that's the first thing that you do is testing and once the test results came back they said yes Vazam absolutely we think that based upon your age we think it's important based upon what we're seeing you know it would be good for you guys to kind of jump into wanting to do you know doing IVF and so it was our first uh, step even though it's not everyone's first step it ended up being our first step and sorry how old were you at this point 34 and mind you i think that at that point i was married for for five years but i had never even heard of what ivf was at that time until this individual had come to me and said i did ivf why don't you consider doing it and it was kind of like wait what and so it took that long for me to even take that step. And I think I probably would have done it earlier had I had known what it was. What was that process like, not just physically, but also emotionally for you? So I had to go through the whole process twice for both my children. The first time around, I think I was a little bit, I had a lot of mixed emotions. On one hand, I am a woman and I felt like I should naturally be able to get pregnant and my body should be able to do this naturally. I struggled with that a lot because I felt like this is something that's supposed to be very natural and it's not. And it was hard for me to wrap and grasp you know, my head, my, my, my hands and head around, why isn't this something that's happening naturally for me? But I started to, you know, soak in the fact that this could be an experience that things happen for a reason. And I meant to take this path, right. And I didn't know what to expect, because I didn't really have anyone I could really speak to in detail about a lot of this stuff. Luckily, I had a co colleague that that kind of walked me through it. And that was kind of my saving grace at that point. But, you know, I would say that it was very emotionally and mentally difficult um, because you do have to take a lot of different shots. You start off with, you know, taking birth control and then you have someone, a physician who's monitoring you and you're having to go in to the doctor every other day to do a blood test, to do a vaginal ultrasound, which are not the best. And, you know, they're looking at trying to see how many eggs do you have? How many follicles have you produced? And you're taking shots to your stomach. I was an executive at a company. I was, I was working 60 hour weeks. And here I am now having to tell my boss and all male team <laughs> that I'm sorry, I'm going to be late every other day, Monday through Friday, because I have to go to the doctor because of this situation. And it, it, it was such a hard struggle because I never wanted being a mom or taking that route of being a mother to, to be a, a handicap you know, to where at my job, I'm now going to be late every other day. And, you know, having to go through that path where people would look at me differently. Um, because that is, as it is, you struggle with your career as a woman and when you're becoming a mom. So, you know, and and, and then having to take, get, take those shots. And I will say that, you know, I had my husband give me those shots because I was like scared about taking them. And it was hard for him. I remember the first time he administered that shot, he had to take a step back because he used to have to do that for his father. And it made him feel very much like, you know, what are we doing here? Are we taking the right step? So it was a very emotional time and it was very difficult for us to really wrap our heads around what in the heck are we even doing? So I think it was just a little surreal to know that this was happening and that we were having to pay to have something done that should have been very natural. And it's very expensive to undergo, you know, this procedure. So I would say it was a very bittersweet time for us. You and your husband were constantly tested throughout this process and it wasn't easy. 
emotionally or physically, did you ever feel like stopping? Did you ever feel like not following through at any point? The first time around, no. The first time around, I think we were just very excited. Um, there was a part of me that's always been very open to the unknown. Now, the second time, when you go through IVF um, and they take out your eggs, one of the things that happens is that your eggs are supposed to become embryos on day five. It takes five days for them to become embryos. And at that point, if you have enough embryos, you get an opportunity to freeze them. So that when you choose to have a child second, third, you know, fourth time around, um, all you have to do at that point is you basically are going to be inserting them. Well, I didn't have the luxury of any embryos the first time. So I had to repeat the cycle of actually getting the eggs out the second time. So the process of taking getting the eggs out is pretty daunting because it's um, you're getting pumped with a lot of hormones. Now, the second time around, I knew what to expect. I must have thought a hundred times on whether or not I wanted to go through this again. I had panic attacks when I thought about it. My anxiety was just above and beyond. I was knee deep in work. I had a, at that point, a two-year-old son. I felt like I was barely surviving and barely breathing. And I didn't know if having a second child was for me. I could not just at all fathom going through this a second time. I had to really take a good look and had to go through a mental process with myself to really say, do you truly, truly, truly want to do this again? It wasn't an easy decision for sure the second time around. How did you ultimately decide to do it? Because listening to your story and even imagining myself in your shoes, I can imagine just how difficult it must have been to decide with that much going on that you're going to go through this again and just the time and the pain and the money even associated with going through this all over. How did you do it? I had one heck of a village around me. I had some of the most amazing amazing, amazing girlfriends around me who had not been through this before, but were just there and present, non-judgmental, open to hearing what I was going through. And I also had, you know, a couple of friends who had been through the process, who I knew I could reach out to, to to talk to them about this. You know, how did you guys go through this a second time? You know, did you feel what I'm feeling? And I had a very, very, very supportive husband who kind of said, you really need to go through your own mental journey and trying to understand if this is something you want. He, This is something he really wanted. He truly, truly wanted to have another child. But I just felt as if I wasn't there yet. And, you know, I have a, my, my children have a three and a half year age gap. And I really wanted to kind of sit there and ask myself, is this something I really wanted to do? And as a mental health professional, I, I started therapy myself, you know, I, I started to see someone to really talk about this and to say, you know, is this something I have to do? You know, do I have to give my child a sibling? And I just went through it every single day. And I, I think I journeyed through that for a good six to nine months. And it was right around the nine month mark that I started to feel better. You know, I started to kind of feel like, okay, like I'm at a place now that I can truly make a decision and whatever that decision is, it's okay. And I'm gonna take it one day at a time. And I felt at that moment in time that I wanted to start the process. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna just start the process and I'm gonna take it one day at a time. And at any given moment, if I feel like this isn't for me, then I will stop and it's okay. And it's okay for me to stop. So that was kind of what I, I had to go through. And it was in that case, not bittersweet the second time around whatsoever. You know, it's never the same. Motherhood's never the same with, you know, with two kids. It's never the same with two different children. And, you know, they say that it's it's always different. And it truly is. Even pregnancy is different. It's, it's almost like as if I was 
I became a mother on day one of, of, of my shot. You know, it was kind of like, I kind of like fell into that so quickly. And it was just, it was just hard. I love that you brought up therapy and that you, you really used therapy as a support, as a guide through this time where things were uncertain and, and you know, just talking through it is so, so powerful. Can you share more about how therapy played a role in helping you make that decision and the importance of therapy in general with you being a mental health professional. I'd love to hear that from you. Yeah, I I think that, you know, when you are a mental health professional, it's very important to practice what you preach. We all tend to hit roadblocks in our life. It's a part of just being able to grow. It is important for us to be able to have a sounding board that you can go to and talk to about that is completely unbiased and unjudgmental and who isn't really giving you completely their opinion, but they're kind of helping guide you to be at your best, whatever that is defined as, and to kind of help you gain that clarity. You know, I think that a lot of us get so clouded um, in our life when we're trying to make these big decisions, when we really just have to take things one day at a time. And that's okay for us to be able to be in the present and in the moment and to change our mind 25 different times to really know what we want. But I think that when you're going through that, and you're trying to make these big life decisions, it's always helpful to be able to talk about it with someone, have them take you through the journey that you need to, to be able to get those answers. And even the answer you get at the end may not be what you thought it was going to be. And that's okay. Um, I wish as a, as a culture, and I wish even as a religion, we had premarital counseling. You know, I think that it's so important for us to be talking about some of these things even before we get married. You know, as a smileys, we tend to be very reactive because it's very difficult for us to go seek help. And I think that um, a lot of people are not willing to talk about it. And I think a lot of people are not willing to take those steps, especially women, to say, I need help. And I think it's okay. And I think it makes you a human. I mean, it just makes you such a powerful human. It makes you a superhuman when you can take that first step and say, you know what, I do need help. And that's okay. That just makes you just a person. And it's okay to be a person that's not perfect. Yeah, what an absolute incredible message. That's so powerful. So going back to making this decision and understanding if this was right for you, especially the second time around after you'd already done it, what was the hardest part of this? You know, was it the actual physical piece of it that was keeping you from it? Or was it everything else? You know, going to work late, therapy, talking to people about it, all of that? It was 100% psychological. I mean, of course, there is a physical aspect there of your body changing and you being pumped with hormones and actually having to go through pregnancy again, the delivery in it of itself. So there is a part of you from a physical standpoint, you know, you go through so many changes in your body. But I think for me, it was really, I I felt like I would have been able to walk myself through the physical, you know, parts of being pregnant and and getting pregnant. But I would say it was very psychological. I always tell people and and the advice I've always tried to give myself is you always have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. And I think that it really resonates with me when I hear that because I started to feel like I had to help myself, I really had to sit there and be at a place where 
I wanted to make these decisions for me. And as selfish as that sounds, I knew that in the long run, if I did this for myself, that I it would just make me a better mother. It would just make me a better wife. It would just make me a better individual when I was, you know, working because I didn't make this decision for anyone else. I made it for myself. So when I go through the struggles of motherhood after the fact, and when I go through the struggle of trying to balance my, you know, career as well as, you know, being a mom, that this was a path that I chose and that no one forced me to. And and it just made that journey just much easier. It was truly a decision that I made for myself. Yeah. Can you share if someone is interested in taking a similar path, but they don't know much about IVF, what is a good starting point? Where did you start and where would you recommend that other women start? And how can we in the community support women who are looking for this information you know, it's a good question. I, I think that the interesting part about IVF is that, you know, we see a lot of parents in, in Jamaat Khanna and no one knows what their journey was unless you ask. And, you know, did you do IVF? Did you do any sort of uh, insemination of, of any sort for that matter to get pregnant? So it isn't until you actually start talking about it that people around you even know that this is a journey you went through. So as someone who's gone through it, you know, you have two options, which is not to talk about it or to talk about it. And I think it's okay to choose the path that's best for you. I think that people who want to not speak about it, you know, should have the right to their privacy and to be able to feel that when they're ready, that they'll share it with whomever they want to share it with. You know, I was not forthcoming about it when I was pregnant the first time. It took me um, having my child and delivering before I even spoke about it. And I want to say that I think that for those women that are willing to share and that are willing to have a voice and just to say, listen, I've been through this. It's a journey that, I, that I've had. You just never know who's going through it. And just to kind of sit there and be mindful of the fact that when you meet people who are newly married and who are contemplating having children, that sometimes when you talk about, you know, having kids and starting a family, just saying, you know, it's interesting, I went through IVF, or I had my struggle, just offering that first sentence can just open up a Pandora box for the other person that's standing in front of you to then all of a sudden divulge what they're going through. And I think sometimes we tend to be very reserved when when you know, we do that. And, and sometimes we don't know to do that. But I think it's important for us to be able to not just do that, but also just have different types of educational seminars around, you know, motherhood and pregnancy and what it means. So but we can start educating the Jamaats for those that really want to be able to be a part of just hearing the journeys of what other women have gone through so that they don't feel like the end of their journey is this, you know, that there's, you have, you know, the whole world is in front of you. You have a lot of options. There's so many women that are struggling with this and just don't talk about it or don't know who to talk about this with. And so I think, you know, the first step is just putting it out in the open and making these conversations more normal. So what are some of the like unspoken challenges that come with IVF that you wish you'd known before going into it? The biggest one that I was unaware of was something called progesterone shots. Oh, women that have gone through IVF, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Progesterone shots are something that you have to take for three months after you're pregnant. And I had no idea 
the first time around until I think I had my egg retrieval. And then five days later, I was, you know, starting to look at what my next steps were. But I started to take these progesterone shots. And it took me by surprise when my doctor said, you're going to be taking these shots on your butt and the needles like yay big. And you are going to have to do this for 90 days every single day. And I thought to myself, you've got to be joking. It was the hardest part of IVF by far. Again, it's a bittersweet moment because you do those shots only if you become pregnant. Geez, that sounds really tough and horrible, but thank you for sharing. So in that same vein, are there any myths that people normally believe about IVF, but after you having gone through it yourself, know that it's not true or just anything that people tell you and you're like, this is false or this doesn't make sense anymore? Yeah, you know, I think that there is a lot of this, um, how many eggs did you retrieve, you know, when you went through your cycle? You know, I had 10 eggs, well, I had 20 eggs and I had 15 eggs, you know, I mean, from just a biological, physiological standpoint, you release one egg a month. And so the whole concept of IVS, IVF is to get as many eggs as possible so that we can, you know, increase your chances of being able to get pregnant. And what you have to realize is that it's not about the amount of eggs that you get the first time around, because that's all you're consumed with is how many follicles do I have? How many eggs do I have? It's really about how many of them are actually going to get fertilized. That is ultimately the key. And, you know, there are some women who will get 10 eggs and get eight of them fertilized. And there's other women who will have 20 eggs and only get two fertilized. And I think that at the end, you have an option once they're fertilized and they become embryos, you can also get them genetically tested. And that was also something that was new to me, which was, you know, do you want to do what we call a fresh transfer, which means they're not tested. And, you know, you can go ahead and, and be able to, you know, go through the second step of IVF, or do you want to get them tested? And when you do get them tested, you have an opportunity to find out the gender, you have the opportunity to find out, you know, if there's any sort of genetic disease at, with any of those embryos, I mean, kind of get to do a lot of it before you even get it, you know, before you become pregnant, and you get to choose, you know, the gender if you wanted to. Science is so cool. I had no idea you could pick the gender with IVF, but that's amazing. So I have a quick question on something you mentioned a bit earlier. I know you had to talk to your boss about this process and that it was going to interfere with your work schedule. I am curious how you started that conversation. What were you thinking at the time? Were you nervous? Can you share your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, most people don't even want to tell people that they're pregnant until you go through the first trimester. I think that's the norm. And in my case, I have to talk about it before I'm even pregnant. And I just had to be fairly transparent. You know, I remember asking for a meeting with my boss and I told him that, you know, my husband and I are wanting to get pregnant and he's, you know, just kind of heard me out. And I said, we're going to start a process called IVF. And, you know, what that's going to require is for me to be able to see a doctor every other day for a matter of you know 10 to 14 days and even with your egg retrieval when that day comes you really don't know when the egg retrieval date is going to be until approximately two days before maybe one day before is when they kind of tell you you're gonna you know go in tomorrow to do the egg retrieval which basically means you got to take the day off so it was kind of hard because I had to kind of sit there and say hey for those 14 days and you know for the next 14 days I can't travel you know I'm gonna kind of be home and I have to stay put it was hard for me 
me to talk about that with my boss, with um, with my male boss, because this was exactly the one thing I had told myself since I had started my career. My gender was not going to be the reason why I was going to have any sort of absences for work or be late for work. That was never going to be an excuse. And I started to recognize and really realize and come to terms with the fact that I am a female and I am a woman and this there are going to be journeys that I'm going to go through that is going to be different. I'm, I'm, I'm physically different. I'm biologically different than a male. And so it was really hard. I think it was hard because I still remember my boss sitting down with me after going through this and then after being pregnant saying, so do you really think you're going to come back to work? And I think that was my tipping point, which was what made you think I wouldn't? I mean, I have been here. I have been present, but apparently him and some of the guys thought she's about to become a mom. She's not, she's going to quit her job and be a stay home. And it drove me bananas. So, you know, what happens when you're done or after you've gotten pregnant? What happens with the eggs or the embryos or, you know, whatever was stored for you? So once you have your embryos, you have an op- option to freeze them. And they sit in a freezer and you pay a monthly rent for your embryos. Um, and they sit there for as long as you choose for them to sit there. You have three options. The first option is to be able to take an embryo in the future um, and to get pregnant again. You have a second option, which is to discard them. And then you have a third option, which is to donate them. Uh, It's it's a struggle. I've, I've struggled with that. Um, And I think a lot of women actually that I've met, actually, now that I think about it, every woman that I've met who has had embryos sitting in freezers that have not, that are, that are kind of done, you know, having children don't know what to do because if we throw them away, then we're basically saying they're not important. If we donate them and, you know, you can donate them to science, you can donate them to somebody else. You, you, you struggle with that a little bit because you're like, well, what is science going to do with my embryo? Or what if it gets donated to a family and, and, and my poor child child, you know, biological child isn't, you know, happy in the future. And then and then at the same time, if you keep them, what are you keeping them for? And it is really, truly the most difficult part of trying to understand what you're supposed to do after that, you know, and what what you know, what are your next steps with with those embryos? You know, this goes back to, you know, some people who believe in abortion and who don't believe in abortion. And what does it mean? If you choose to discard your embryo, is that considered an abortion? What do you do with with those embryos that are sitting in a freezer? And especially when you know, and you've gotten genetic tests on them, you know, their genders and you know, they're healthy. I mean, how do you really navigate through that? It's, It's a struggle. And I don't know if there's one right answer for that. How did you make that decision? How did you navigate through it and do what felt right for you? I still don't know what to do. I'm still struggling with it. I have zero idea. I meet with women all the time who've gone through this journey. I have lunch with them or I'll have coffee in this case. You know, in today's world, I, we have Zoom. Most of them are in the same place I am. And so it's it's nice to have someone that can truly sympathize with you and, and to do that. But I wish I had an answer even for myself and I don't. And I don't know if any of those answers are ever going to be the right answer. I know for now, um, I just have them. They sit there and, you know, I will continue just trying to figure out what it is. I want to do. So just to wrap up, we wanted to ask you if there was anything that you wanted to add, anything that we should have asked you but didn't, just kind of wanted to open the floor to you. Sure. So so I will say for those women that are struggling with what to do next and, and how to kind of navigate through this, you know, I would say that first and foremost, I think taking a step back and asking yourself, do I want to be a mom is, is a question that is going to give 
a lot of people a setback in terms of, you know, is this for me? And I think that we really have to be able to kind of look at life and, and be able to live the way we think is going to be the right way to live. And if that means having children, wonderful. And if that means not having kids, wonderful. But the pressure that sometimes that's put on us to do so many different things and to wear so many different hats can be so challenging. And when you choose to have to be a mom, and if you choose to go down IVF, know there are people out there that are willing to talk about it, you know, that have been through that path. Because I think that when you recognize and realize that we live, you know, in a century today where we have science, we have technology. And if you choose to be able to take advantage of that, that there are going to be options for you. And don't give up. It's not easy. But at the end, if you are wanting to be a mom and if that is the journey you're choosing to take, the reward is plenty and it's amazing. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. It's the hardest balance for those women that choose to be moms and have careers. But just know that it is one of the most rewarding things you're going to do. And it's just going to be something where, you know, you're going to be able to look back and say, if I can journey through this, then I can journey through anything. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for chatting with us. We just have one more piece. So we call this rapid fire. We ask ask you 90 questions I mean sorry <laughs> 12 questions 12 questions in the span of 90 seconds dream travel destination Bora Bora favorite app on your phone um my text message talking or texting texting favorite ice cream flavor chocolate best advice you've ever received put your oxygen mask on first before you help others what's a word you use too much like biggest pet peeve being late early bird or night owl early bird go-to airport snack starbucks milk or cereal first cereal what song is your anthem oh gosh i have no idea all right we can skip this one <laughs> favorite childhood tv show um charles in charge okay not bad i mean you finished with five seconds to go you were really quick. You were really quick. The song one is hard, I will say. Yeah, the song I know, one. I was kept Indian, English, Indian, English. Back and forth between the Hollywood, Bollywood. I was just so mixed on that one. Uh, welcome back from our episode. As always, hope you all enjoyed it. And if you didn't, you can let us know. What kind of outro is that? You were, you were supposed to continue. <laughs>